Hello and welcome to That Black Theatre Podcast, the podcast that takes you through black theatre history in the Black Plays Archive. This week we've got some we've got a whole episode dedicated to looking at the work of a fantastic playwright who we talked about earlier in, in an episode, Winston Pinnock. So Nad, can you give us a brief introduction to what you talk what you wanted to talk about with Winston's work and what plays are we talking about today? Hello, yeah, um, so we're obviously talking about Winston Pinnock, who is one of the most successful and prolific playwrights working in British theatre today. Winston was born in Islington in 1961, and she's a playwright and an academic. She has a bachelor's degree in English and drama from Goldsmiths University, and a master's degree in modern literature from Birkbeck um, College, University of London. She was the first black British woman to have a play staged at the National Theatre in 1995. So the play that got performed there uh, in 1995 was Leave Taking, brilliant play, really, really influential play. It was also the first time that two black women worked together on a production at the NT. Wow. So, yeah, so Winston Pinnock was a playwright, obviously, and Paulette Randall, who is an extremely, extremely important director, um, directed the production... Yeah, so I wanted to talk about Winston. I wanted to flag how important her work is in Black British theatre. She's written so many plays, and they've spanned so many different themes, topics, and time periods. She really, when I speak to her, when I've spoken to her about about her work, she's really um, forensic, and kind of really hones in on the details of of how how she writes and why she writes the way that she does. Mm. So she's really, really fascinating to talk to. And she writes in a way that I personally find like really, really entertaining and moving. But it's also really political. And you can feel like this political motivation and political kind of energy coming through her work as well. Yeah, so we've got an interview with Winston that I did a few days ago. Yeah, so as Denise said, we have an interview with Winston Pinnock about how she started as a writer her latest play, Rockets and Blue Lights, and what she would like to see change in the theatre industry. Let's take a listen. Thank you for agreeing to talk to us, because okay. we really appreciate it. Yeah, so we've been asking a lot of dramatists throughout the podcast about the term black playwright, and I kind of wondered what your th- thoughts were on that label, and if your relationship with it has changed throughout your career. I've seen interviews that I've given where I've been asked that question, where I've said different things at different times, depending on what I'm thinking, feeling. And mostly what I have seemed to say over the years is that I really embrace the term black playwright. And then on other occasions, I'll say I'm, I want to write stories. So the two of them are not mutually exclusive, I believe. And I I, yeah, I embrace being a black playwright because black is a political term, isn't it? And I feel that, I feel lucky to have been given the opportunity to write plays that in some small way reflect the black experience of my generation and beyond. Because of course, I mean, I started writing because I wanted to explore that experience you know, to, uh, to document it, although the plays aren't, you know, you know, they're not sort of documentaries as such, but I did want to, to some extent, leave 
some indication of some of the things that we were facing as a generation. I don't feel I've fully done that because I think that opportunities to do that were were not, it, it was rare really to be able to do the work that you really wanted to do when I started writing. The opportunities for places that would take your work were fairly limited and I found that I had kind of two types of work that I did. There were, or I wanted there to be two kinds of work, plays that I wrote for myself and plays that were commissioned by theatre companies like Clean Break, where, you know, we would agree a topic, etc. But yes, my relationship with the idea of being a black playwright is one in which, yes, I absolutely embrace the, the term. I mean, some people think that, to embrace it is to be marginalised. Over the years, I've had conversations with people who suggest that, but I think, well, you're probably going to be marginalised in various ways anyway, you know. Mm. And so, <laughs> I mean, so for me, I write with that knowledge. I'm trying to have a degree of truthfulness in my work. And so my embracing that label is an aspect of that I think is it's an acknowledgement and expression of the way that you know the conditions in which I started to write and produce and the limitations of the world around me in terms of the way I've been allowed to do that that's really interesting thank you I have two things I wanted to ask you about that the first was that do you think that because you sort of said at the beginning of your answer about black as a political term and like I completely agree with you and I wondered if you think it's because I feel like what's happening right now in the world with Black Lives Matter um, resurging and, and racial justice and racial equality like those discussions kind of being hopefully kind of brought to the fore more than they were at the beginning of the year do you feel like it's been politicised kind of more than it was kind of let's say like a year ago or do you think that that's you know that it's always been highly political for me it's been very political and when I started it was political for most people Mm -hmm. most black writers I think what's happened is that this has reinforced the movement has reinforced what we have been campaigning for or asking for for many decades Mm -hmm. it's made it possible for that not to seem like a sort of marginalized argument it's made it legitimate to actually have these conversations Mm -hmm. which we yeah we as a group of artists have been asking or requesting for a long time you know it's, it's actually just made it possible to have that in a way that means that we don't have to be so afraid of having made the request because I think often one was, you know, I think that you, when you start that conversation, the defensiveness that that is activated as a result of one doing that Mm -hmm. is then turned back on the person starting the conversation who's portrayed as difficult, la, la, la. And in our profession, you know, you need to be able to collaborate with people. So I've often been afraid that being 
you know, being someone who speaks will have an effect on my career, which is one of the most important things to me, you know, to be able to write and have plays produced is, is, you know, kind of one of the things I live for and to have that taken away or the threatened uh, being taken away is, is really challenging to face. But on the other hand, I'm someone who is honest, really. So mm-hmm. when people ask me about the things I feel, I've got to speak. And the speaking, a lot of people, I think a lot of people don't realise that a lot of us actually speak, or over the years have done a lot of speaking behind the scenes as well. You know, that we're not just, it's not just when we're asked to do a interview with a newspaper or something, but that actually we have been speaking to institutions for a long time, or trying to. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, I guess it's kind of like, it has been going on for years and years and years. You've been speaking about this for years and years and years, and hopefully, like you said, like it lived, hopefully it's being legitimated, like, further, like, as, as something that really needs to be addressed and changed and how long people have been waiting <laughs> like it's yeah exactly. well now I, I i would like young people to be talking and making demands because mm-hmm. i'd like to get on with just doing my work writing plays mm-hmm. and i think it's their turn mm-hmm. make trouble yeah 100 <laughs> agree <laughs> um yeah yeah, so the other thing I wanted to ask you, kind of leading on from that, was I kind of wanted to ask you about how you started out as a playwright, as a writer, like, what was your journey? Well, I'd been writing since I was a child, so I'd started writing stories and things like that, and I was, I won a prize when I was very little, you know, at primary school for writing a story, and so I kind of started thinking of myself as someone who wrote very very early on, you know, I'd started writing a novel when I was about 12 or something. I never finished it, (laughs) but I was writing a, you know, I was writing a novel and I read quite a lot. And then I started reading plays and seeing plays from the age of about 12, because I went to a school that was quite progressive. It was an all-girls school. And they really, many of my teachers became feminists so they all their teaching was informed by that and they asked us to question ourselves and our expectations of ourselves and because we were young women they wanted us to kind of break boundaries and uh, so this was a girls comprehensive school in fact it was the school that Michelle Obama visited in Islington I don't know if you remember that she struck up a relationship with a school in Islington and that was my that was the school that I had been to years and years before yeah. she got there. So it's a special school, honestly. It, it was especially at that time. And so my, so my writing then was probably informed by some of the things the teachers were instilling in us. But also the idea of doing something in the arts was absolutely pushed by my teachers. For example, I used to act and stuff and they would tell me, that I had a flair for it, that I had a talent, and they would encourage me to audition for various things. I auditioned, actually, for the, what they call it, the National Youth Theatre, and my first audition went really, really well. The guy who auditioned me 
said really amazing things. And I went back to the school, performed my audition thing, and I was recalled. And when I got there, I absolutely went to pieces in terms of my nerves. And I think maybe that was an indication that I wasn't cut out for that, for performing professionally, you know, because to go out there and then completely be consumed by nerves in the way that I was to the effect that they affected the performance. The speech I'd done was one from St. Joan, which was George Bernard Shaw's play, which was a play, was one of the first plays I'd ever seen when I was a kid. And of course, that tells you something about me, Mm. why I'd chosen that, you know, that obviously had struck something inside me, that part, the idea that such a part could be written for a woman, a young woman in the theatre. So I guess that gives some indication of what I was becoming interested in. So, yeah, so I was writing, involved in theatre, involved, just really obsessed, actually. There was a group of us at my school who were obsessed with the arts, dance, theatre, and we'd go and see stuff, you know, and quite high-level stuff, you know, RSC productions. (laughs) I remember seeing this very complex play at the Donmar Warehouse, didn't have a clue what was going on, but loved it. You know, it was intellectually, it was kind of a bit above over my head because I was very young. But so, yeah, I was I was just involved in theatre, youth theatres and stuff for most of my young, from the age of um, 12 onwards. And then I studied English and drama at Goldsmiths um, University and um, had the idea that I would go on to act but then actually started, you know, the writing kind of took over in my mind. So, yeah, that's that's how I started. I joined the Young Writers Group at the Royal Court Theatre, and that was the most exciting time of my life because it was just a group of young people led by uh, an established writer, Stephen Wakelam, Hanif Qureshi led it, um, Carol Churchill came in and did some work with us. Mm-hmm. I... We had visits from Edward Bond, who came to talk to us. And, and so it was an exciting time. I really thought, oh, I'm a writer, and started sending plays out. But I'd be like, I was writing one of my first plays, a play called A Hero's Welcome. And I just, I, I kind of lived and breathed it. I was waking up in the middle of the night with ideas and just, you know, going, you know, sitting down and writing writing and writing so yeah it was an exciting time yeah wow that sounds incredible yeah it was it really was and the when when I was at the Royal Court Young Writers Group we had fun as well because we were young and there were times when they just left us to our own devices and there was one particular time I remember we wrote directed acted in each other's work and, you know, it was, yeah, it was, it was good. I, I don't, I was talking yesterday to someone and saying we don't think that young people have the sort of same access to the arts as we did. Right. You know, because you just kind of stroll in, turn up, that's what it felt like, and they'd let you in. You know, you could join a drama group and 
and you know and participate mm. what do you think uh, what do you think might have changed from when you were starting out to, to now in terms of well, the, well austerity wasn't just from a few years ago it started mm. years before that where there were all these cuts to various services all the youth centers were cut mm. like youth was cut received cuts to their grants because I think what happened, don't quote me on this, is that there was this understanding that any money given for black arts in theatre could now be that could now be given to mainstream mm-hmm. theatre mm-hmm. who would incorporate them. Yeah. Oh my god, it didn't happen. Yeah. We stopped being in control of our artistic output. You know, uh, because the idea was that we'd matured or graduated into becoming mainstream so that there was no need for us to have separate theatre companies. But my God, there was a need. Mm. Yeah. And it's the same with women's theatre, because there, were a, there was a lot of women's theatre as well. So, yeah, so these things were, you know, it, it was to do with things being cut, you know, as I said, youth centres, if there are cuts in theatre, then the education departments are going to suffer because people don't realise how important they, they are. Mm-hmm. You know, they're never, they're never given the same value or status as the rest of the work that the theatre does. I was talking to the academic Lynette Goddard and they were saying, we were talking about like, the ideas of the 80s, kind of the late 80s and early 90s and stuff, and this idea of like collectivism and collective yeah. theatre yeah. and, and, and how yeah. it feels so much more individual now. Yes, it does. And that's to uh, the detriment of black theatre mm. because it all, all the things that that stands for in individualism, like com- competition, all of those things then enter into the practice. Now, writers often are very, in you know, work as individuals. There are different ways in which you can make theatre, and for me, there are works that I need to that need to come from my imagination. And like any artist, I want the opportunity to explore that on my own. There are skills I've acquired over the years to do with my art and my craft that I want to be able to fulfill and explore. And just, you know, and that, and I think every artist has the right to that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also like working collaboratively. So I've always thought there were two kinds of work. Um, you know, there are the works that you do with another group, with a group, and then there's the work that comes from my my imagination, my research, my skills, if you like. Um, and that's always been important to me. And I think black artists should have the right to do that. You know, whenever people talk about how, you know, some people think that theatre should all be collective, like collaborative, like devised and everything. But then I think there's a that's not fair to people who, you know, who have trained and have skills and who have a predisposition to create work in the way that a visual artist might or a choreographer might, you know. 
And I think, I think it's really important that we be given that space to do that as well. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Sorry. Moving on. Um, I kind of wanted to ask you about, you've had such a like prolific career, so many plays, so many, so many different kind of themes and, and interests in, in your plays. And I wondered if there was a particular highlight of, of, of your career so far, or if that's too simplistic. Um, yeah. For me, it is the last play that I wrote, Rockets and Blue Lights. That for me is a highlight and I'm incredibly proud of it. And it's such a shame that there are quite a few people saw it because we sold quite a lot of tickets for the first couple of previews. But then it was, um, then we had the lockdown just before our press night. Mm. And um, so it hasn't really been seen. They created such an, an, a wonderful production of it. And yeah, I was really pleased with what they'd done with Miranda and the cast. So that for me is my highlight because I wrote that play on spec because often you're not asked, to, you're not commissioned to write for a big space. And so when I was given, I was fortunate to be working at Kingston University. I was teaching at Kingston University and I had a sabbatical and during that sabbatical, I was able to write what I wanted to write. And I wrote that play. And I, I, I just threw absolute caution to the wind. I could write, I could have as many characters on it as I needed, as I wanted. I could go back and forth in time. And so I did that, you know, because if I'd been commissioned to write that play, they would have said, yeah, you can have five characters, blah, blah, because they'd be commissioning me to write for a studio, probably. Mm. And, um, you know, or because understandably, most theatres don't have a lot of money, never have um, enough money. But yeah, that, that was the highlight that I could spend a lot of time doing research and thinking and create a play that came from me that had nobody on my back saying, oh, well, you know, we think this is what interests people or, you know, we can't do this, we can't do that. Oh, it's a bit, you know, too, um, whatever, whatever it would be too of. Mm-hmm. I was in control of that material, which you always are at the point of writing. But um, because it wasn't commissioned, that gave me incredible freedom. So that was a you know a big highlight. Fantastic. Yeah, I was really gutted because I'd planned on going to see it. So I was really like, I was really sad that it got cut short. But obviously, um, you know, COVID. Um, I wondered if you could tell us a bit about uh, for our listeners what it's about and kind of what what inspired you to write it. Oh gosh, that's kind of big. okay. It's, it's quite a complex play with a complex structure, but I would say at the heart of it is, um, it's, people think of it as a historical play, and it's not, really, because it's about a woman um, in the present day, a performer, a star, really, an actress, who stars in a science fiction TV series, and she's been cast in a historical film, and this film is about J.M.W. Turner 
and his creation of his iconic painting, The Slave Ship. And so the film focuses on Turner and she in the film plays one of the women who is thrown. The painting, which was one of my inspirations, is it depicts a massacre or supposedly depicts a massacre, the Zong massacre of 1781, where a slave ship, in order to claim money on insurance, threw all the enslaved people overboard when there was a sort of lack of water on board. You know, they they, did, they didn't have enough water to to uh, for everybody, and so they threw the enslaved people over and then claimed on the insurance. And, and so... She challenges the sort of producers, if you like, of this film to change the perspective of the film, which focuses on this idea of abolition being in the control of the white characters, such as Turner. So Turner in the film, I suppose, is a heroic figure. And she, who plays a a ghost who appears to him, wants to kind of you know, focus more on the African woman she plays. But in the course of working on that film, she undergoes a a kind of transformation, if you like, because she embodied in her is the legacy of enslavement. And so there are different time frames in the play. Go back in time and see a family in London, a black family, who are one of whom the mother was an enslaved woman, but they're just an ordinary family living a London life. The father is an ex-sailor who had served on slave ships, which black sailors sometimes did. You know, they were free people themselves, but they served on slave ships. And he longs to go back to the sea. He's searching for something, evidently. And he meets J.M.W. Turner, the real Turner. So there is the fictional Turner and the supposedly real Turner, who, of course, is a construction of mine. And he discovers that the real Turner has an involvement in the slave trade, which the real Turner did early on in his life. He invested in what was called a, a sugar works, which was, you know, worked by enslaved people. So it's a complicated play, but what I was interested in was the legacy of the slave trade, its impact on the present day. And I found dramaturgical ways to kind of dramatise that. Mm. You know, I think think that most, a lot of black people think a lot about, not, not, are aware of the legacy of the slave trade in the everyday. And I think that was the moment that the Colston statue was toppled. You see that somehow being very dramatically embodied in the present day. You know, the fact that we do live with this legacy on a day-by-day basis. Mm -hmm. And yet people will say, well, oh, it happened hundreds of years ago. And then you think, well... So why is that statue, if, it, if, it's, if it's gone, why is that statue still there? Why aren't we rethinking the way we think about these figures? You know, so, yeah. Thank you. I mean, it's, yeah. it's, it was pertinent 
anyway like the subject matter that's it's really pertinent anyway but um if the play is able to be put on again or finish its run i don't know but it it feels like it's all the more important for what's happening right now and as you say like most black people are aware of the legacies of slavery and 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 and, and if not like it's part of our lives you know because it is like yeah. you know with my family like from the Seychelles like we can we we know in my family the the name of the slave owner um and stuff like that and and it's stuff that's um I learned when I was a child from my mum and then as I've got an older I've been like oh my god like you read more about it you become more aware of it and it, um you're right like it, it needs to be really critically rethought the way we uh, talk about this the way we um memorialize it the way that we you know and these statues like you said like if it wasn't still important and it wasn't still affecting people why are they why are they up there um so yeah like i you know something you hear a lot is people say why is this the only story we tell about the black experience and it's a very strange thing that they that they say that because when i looked into it there were so few plays written by black british authors on this subject mm. now this year there were a few that were produced but bef- but prior to that there really weren't and people have this impression that they're constantly seeing plays on this subject but or films but they're usually american yeah that american story and people conflate the two and i see why they would do that but there's something about the specific experience of the sort of british legacy that is important to tell mm. also there was something about the way that it often told and i didn't want to do that like in in my play i wanted to do something different with it which is why it's a fi- why you deal why i deal with like fictions around enslavement i didn't want to actually write um or even attempt to write something that was real if you like mm-hmm. um because then you have to portray certain events that have become almost tropes of the representation of enslavement so there are scenes that you there are obligatory scenes which play kind of plays with you know so there is a whipping scene but then your expectations of that are upended in the place so i wanted to constantly do that to kind of keep the audience guessing etc you know so that they were engaging with it as a play you know kind of thinking about what plays can do mm-hmm. uh what uh, what part they play the interventions they make into the um themes or topics if you like was it important for you to have a black woman um at the kind of center of that uh Yes, I've been also wanting to write about men quite a lot because most of my work had been about um I know one onda has a male uh, at the at the center but he's kind of 
usually, you know, there were two men and three women in that play, but I also wanted to write about black men, and it's something I wanted to do as well. So both, really, mm-hmm. because um, actors had asked me actually to do that. Mm-hmm. Black actors in the past asked me to write for them. And so I have that in my mind often when I'm working, but I'll, I'll write for both. Yeah. Right. Wow. The last thing I wanted to ask you was, it kind of touches on what you were saying, I guess, in the beginning of the interview in a way, and what we were talking about in terms of what might have changed when you started out writing. But I kind of wondered if there are any critical um, things that you'd like to see change in theatre right now. I'd I just longed for power structures to change in that I long for black people to have real power in terms of, you know, the structures of theatre. I'd like to see, I'd love to see more. Actually, it makes me feel quite um, emotional. I'd love to see more black dramaturgs that one can work with. And that is, I've worked with extraordinary dramaturgs, you know, who've been able to get inside my work, etc. But I would love to see more black people doing this and more black people making decisions about what gets to be produced. Mm. Um, So that's the critical thing, I think, for me, is the sharing of power, you know, the passing of power, the, the sort of the passing on of power, of of not just being the recipient of somebody else's kindness almost, you know, for someone to allow me in. I'd love to have people at the fore who who really understand this because it's not necessarily the case that someone a black person gets it either. You know, I'd love to have people in power who who are really committed to this change and to empowering artists to create the work they want to create, mm-hmm. you know, whatever it's subject, and just making that possible for them. You know, so because so often it feels as though you are you're kind of fighting actually, you're you're kind of fighting to create that work and and then for it to be understood and then for it to be shown and and every work seems to be like that especially if you're doing work that somehow is challenging it feels like where people might be willing to do the work of trying to understand what a white writer is saying that they're not necessarily willing to do that or even think that they are required to do that and that's racism Mm. that's racism if you don't understand that my work requires thought as well of you to do a bit of thinking yeah you you think it's all going to come off off the page (laughs) because it's going to be all singing all dancing Mm. entertaining Mm. and that you don't have to do some work to kind of get inside it you know that's the challenge 
And that's why I said the power has to change. I know that I remember someone years ago saying that someone had sent a play in where there was a sort of a same-sex relationship at the heart of it. And the man who read it hadn't understood that these women were flirting with each other because it's just outside, at the time anyway, it was outside his experience. That's the point, isn't it? To understand that we don't know everything. Yeah. We are not experts in everything. You might be a genius director, but you don't know everything Mm -hmm. about everything Mm -hmm. and everybody. And it's conceding that the limits of one's knowledge. I can think of you more. (laughs) I think it's you're so right, you know, about the idea that 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 people might assume that black work doesn't require critical thought, that you have to actually do the work, you know, as people say, like, and it's like, well, why wouldn't you do the work? Because <laughs> it's, it's an established piece of writing by, an established, yeah. by a brilliant writer. Uh, why, yeah, why wouldn't you need to do the work? Just because it's not your lived experience or it's not in your sphere of yeah. knowledge. It's, yeah, and, and, and that you... And it's one of the things that I think a lot of people are saying now a lot of people are like saying that they that they need to quote unquote do the work and that they need to educate themselves but i don't know whether a lot of people actually will you know or or even kind of just move gently aside yeah let do it but also let that person if they want to work with other people someone was telling me yesterday that as a black artist they felt that they had like a wide knowledge because they could probably direct the play of a white writer. Yeah. Because they've been so um, saturated with that work and and the work of black writers, um, you know. And so that's the other thing. I would like to see directors given the opportunity to work on a wide range of work whatever you know whatever they choose really you know but then having said that I mean I I've I've just said something there that actually for me black work is wide-ranging yeah so I just said something that kind of contradicts what I or, or implies a contradiction of what I absolutely believe which is that this work is not limited you know mm-hmm. yeah completely um Yeah, thank you so much for talking to me. It's been so nice to speak to you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Look forward to hearing the finished thing. Bye-bye. So we hope you enjoyed that interview. I feel so lucky and honoured and privileged like that I got to speak to Winsome because she's a really big inspiration to me. And I just, yeah, um, thank you so much, Winston, for agreeing to talk to us. Nadia, what did you think of that interview? Like, I, feel, I saw you writing so many notes. Tell, <laughs> tell me what you thought. <laughs> I literally had, like, my phone. I've just got so many things to Constantly say. Notating. Amazing. A really, really interesting interview. Everything she was saying, I was just like, yeah, that's that's completely for you on that. So that's, um, yeah, it sounds like she just had a amazing career and um, a really interesting life. But yeah, a couple of things that I just wanted to discuss with you. One thing that she said about she was worried about what speaking up might do to her career. Mm. 
and how I just wonder how she I would love to know how she navigated that part of her life and like just deciding that I'm, I, I'm just going to say what I think and I love that she just spoke so openly in the interview and was like really honest like I love that I really and that's really refreshing not to hear somebody holding back um and just speaking really honest, honestly and openly because I think that's really important it's really nice to hear a successful black woman talk about what was hard yeah what is hard yeah like yeah exactly yeah just saying this was this is the problems I had to navigate and just being really honest about that so yeah I love that she just kind of said just talking about what the issues that she she faced in terms of speaking up and what that might do to her and in the end she's been incredibly successful so yeah it's, it's a good thing she did and she still is she's still really she's still vocal and the fact that she was sort of saying look um it's not always about what you see in the newspaper we're pushing against stuff we're fighting we're speaking up about things behind the scenes mm-hmm. and that isn't necessarily always talked about and maybe isn't as sexy but mm-hmm. it's happening and it has like like she said people of her generation and older and people who came after and mm-hmm. us now people have been talking about racial discrimination and gender discrimination and was just, just discrimination more widely like for years and years and years and years mm-hmm. for decades and people are tired like she said like i kind of just want to get on i want to yeah she just wants work. the young people to like she's like <laughs> let the young people have that. i love that she was like let the get the get let the young people have their turn and be angry and fight i just want to carry on and write my stories and, and be me be the creator that i am yeah I love and that. also, like, I suppose the burden of, like, being, like, having a really long, successful career, and I suppose there's, like, generally I feel like when you're black or when you're a racial or ethnic, quote-unquote, minority, you kind of feel that burden of representation where you have to speak about all of these things. And it's, like, the very fact that you have to speak out about it shows that there's a problem. Like, can you imagine if you had a life where you know, where... You never had to worry about someone racially abusing you, lot on a day to day basis. No, Can you imagine that? What must be like? I can't even imagine. And and I think that's something that I don't want to be too antagonistic, but I do feel like that's something that white people do have to consider. Absolutely, and that is really important that white people recognise that you don't know, you don't understand, you'll never understand. That's okay, but as long as you don't make it about you, yeah, that's important. I wanted to touch on the fact that I'm really happy that like so she touched on the fact that she went to an all girls comprehensive school mm-hmm. um and that mm-hmm. a lot of her creative writing was influenced by her teachers yeah and I think it's amazing that she had like a positive influence for her to to be able to express herself positively and I'm glad that that, that happened otherwise she probably wouldn't be here today writing as in she wouldn't be writing what she's writing today yeah she was she's clearly been political from a very yeah, young age yeah that's not always something you see it's rare in the mainstream to hear about black creatives black artists black writers we're in those kind of educational spaces that were main i guess the sort of more conventional mainstream spaces that weren't like black supplementary schools for example um but the kind of the more conventional mainstream uh educational spaces where you were being like actively um, encouraged to think about feminist politics mm-hmm. and stuff like that which mm-hmm. I think is amazing yeah amazing really amazing and I like that she touched on the fact that young people don't have the same access to the arts as generations that came before us mostly because you're not encouraged to 
but also it's very expensive it's not accessible mm. it's not you know maybe we, we can see it a little bit more now but there's there's nothing to relate to if you're from a particular demographic you're just a lot less likely to access mm-hmm. theatre aren't you yeah definitely i want to ask you your experience of it actually i just wondered what your perspective was when you were listening to what Winston was saying about this exciting time that she had um, at the Royal Court, Royal Court as a young writer and she felt like it was easier to access that stuff when she was younger than, than it is for our generation and, and younger. And I just wondered what your perspective was on that. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think growing up I always just thought like theatre was just a white, a white space. It's dry and it, I just felt like it was... I love being... When I go to the theatre, I love being like watching it mm. but I think my earliest experience of being in a theatre was probably the, seeing The Lion King so you were early teens yeah and that was amazing that was incredible but other than that yeah I never really had any interest because whenever I thought of theatre I just thought of like whiteness Shakespeare and like like stories that I just found boring to be honest with you and it just wasn't accessible it was expensive you know and to be fair it's not still not that accessible it is not yet still not that accessible and i still feel i still do you know what actually i feel like when i'm when i go to the theater i feel like an imposter because i feel like yeah. it's just very it's a white space yeah. and i'm not supposed to be there and everyone looks very different to me and i don't feel like i can relax and be comfortable and watch the performance and enjoy it mm. as me mm-hmm. oh my god you know what um <laughs> it's really funny that you say it. it's not funny it's it's really interesting that you say that because you're basically like saying a lot of stuff to do with my phd really <laughs> yeah <laughs> like a lot of a lot of it is to do with who is allowed to enter and shape mm-hmm. certain spaces and i go to the theater quite a lot and i have to be very careful about what productions i pick to see and i also have to be very careful about how I feel like I'm presenting myself in that space because you don't feel like you belong there. Mm-hmm. I was saying, I wrote I wrote something a while ago about this play that I love called Nine Night. And one of the reasons I love that play so much is I felt like I belonged in the theatre. I felt like I belonged at the National Theatre. Really? For the first time I've ever been. And I've really? been, you know, and I work with the National Theatre and I, mm. I've been to see a lot of shows there. And that play... Uh, made me feel like that space was a space that I belonged in. I think that's really important. I think it's that's that's it's really important to feel like you're just feel like comfortable, not feel like because just about feeling like you don't have to be ready to fight someone <laughs> all the time yeah. when you're in white spaces. Um, the other thing I wanted to talk about was she mentioned talking about the legacy of slavery in her latest play yeah in her which latest um, play which sounds amazing uh, yeah rockets and blue lights yeah sounds really, really i'm interesting. so i literally am so sad i didn't get mm. to see it i'm really hoping it gets brought back because mm-hmm. um, it sounds sick <laughs> sounds amazing what were you going to really say about the legacy um, of slavery and how you both kind of touched on the fact that like with the resurgence of black Lives matter and stuff and how people were talking about why do we need these statues up um, or why do you want to take them down we don't want to remember our history. And so, yeah. yeah, but if it, is so, if it is so long ago, why do we need them up? No, but also, why do we need the thing, them up? Also, the thing that's hilarious when people say that is 
okay, you want us to remember our history, well, then mm. we need to remember our actual history. Yeah, remember our real history, exactly. <laughs> don't just pick and choose. Exactly, exactly. You want to remember Winston, but you don't want to remember his fucking... The, the Bengal famine. Yeah. The most important thing that I kind of wanted to talk, um, talk about with what she said was um, why people not understanding and how she experienced it, like, why people didn't understand that you need to step aside and that might this this black theatre... Maybe this story isn't the one for you to tell. Exactly. And it's important. And, also, and my, why... this story is important. It's no less important than the stories that you want to tell. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But you need to allow... You need to take a back seat so that we can tell this story. Uh, but also, I think that one of the things that she sort of said um, that she brought up was kind of like, yeah, um, why would you think you know everything? Mm, yeah, exactly. So, it, yeah. Like, there's, a, there's like a weird ignorant arrogance to that where why would you think you're the right person to tell this story mm-hmm. when you have no idea what that experience is like? Do you know what I mean? Uh-huh. There's so many productions where you are like, why on earth did you think you were the right person to tell that story? It Honestly, it was no. my mind. So yeah, I, I, I really like. I just thought that she was just honest about it, and I think that's it needs to it needs to be said. I, I would you know what I would really like to do if you're if you're white and you are okay with your privilege and talking about your privilege, and you work in in the art if you're creative or if you have written a play. I'd like to sit down and discuss your thoughts on your privilege and how you got to accept it and what you think white people need to do to make those same steps. What is, do you think? Is that a call-out? It is, no, I'm actually <laughs> I'd genuinely really like to. If, if you're white and you feel like you've you've gotten to a, a, a space where you, you've educated yourself you've taken the your initiative to educate yourself and learn about the experiences of people of color particularly within your industry mm. i would like to have a conversation about your journey to that and what you think needs to happen cool um i have one thing i wanted to flag up that i think was really important mm-hmm. important that winston was saying i find it really interesting that she was saying that um when she looked into it, there haven't been many plays written about the legacies of slavery from a black British perspective. Despite the fact that there's a lot of people that seem to think that it's being constantly shoved mm-hmm. down their throats mm-hmm. as a story. Why are you talking about slavery? It happened 400 years ago. And um, <laughs> and also that, that a lot of the time when we do talk about slavery, it's from an African-American perspective. Mm. And that seems to be conflated, is what she said, that we that they get conflated. And I think she's right. Um, but also it, it's really important to remember that, like, they're really connected, the African-American um, experience and history of enslavement and um, the black British and the, um, the kind of British um, history of that. Mm-hmm. They are really, obviously, really connected, but um, they're not the same thing. And the way that they worked and the systems that were in place and the, the way they were manifested were, were were different. But they are connected, but they are not the same. And I thought it was really interesting that she was sort of saying that, like, she. I think I don't want to try and put words in Winston's mouth, but it kind of felt to me as though she was saying that 
sometimes people imply that we're always banging on about it mm-hmm. and that we should stop talking about it and shut up and it's kind of like well actually like you live with that legacy every day so yeah no, actually exactly sorry. and it kind of connects to what you were saying where why don't if people were more in theatre and just generally like theatre makers who are white are more open to acknowledging the fact that they don't understand another experience and it's kind of interesting because theatre is a place where you go to inhabit other experiences and understand other experiences and see other perspectives on the world so it's quite ironic that some theatre makers don't seem to recognise when they don't understand other experiences mm-hmm. or that like we said like maybe you're not the right person to shape this narrative and so I thought it was, I thought it was really refreshing hearing Winston say that her latest play Rockets and Blue Lights is kind of this highlight of her career because she feels like she was really in control of the narrative and really really in control of the story she was crafting and I think that's I I'm I honestly it's like so inspired by that and so um it's so important to me that people are able to shape their own narratives mm. and, mm-hmm. and 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 t- and say what they actually feel about the situation mm. and I think she made it really clear about how difficult that can be and I, I find I'm really I, like props you know to her for saying that she's an incredible woman and the work that she's done has been I would have loved to have seen the play I hope one day we get to see it yeah I'm really hoping it gets brought back and um mm-hmm. yeah so thank you so much Winsome and yes. um thank you very much um I hope you enjoyed the interview with Winsome and I certainly did you can find out more about Winston's plays on the Black Plays Archive, so go and check it out if you're interested. Yeah, I think that's all we've got time for. Uh, yeah, thank you for listening, guys. I hope you enjoyed the episode. Please, someone take me up on the offer white and discuss your journey to being quote-unquote woke, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> I don't know. But yeah. Um, Thanks, Do guys. you want to give your Instagram handle if people want to get in touch with you, or will that be too... Extra? Yeah, do it. Yeah, at Nadia Gabriella. All right, thank you so much for listening. Uh, yeah, we hope that we see you next week when we're going to be talking about the state of the nation in Black British theatre. So stay tuned, and we'll see you soon. All right, thanks, guys. Bye. Bye. This podcast was made in partnership with the Royal Central School of Speech and Drama the National Theatre and supported by the London Arts and Humanities Partnership. If you want more information about these podcast episodes, go to the Black Plays Archive website.